Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Amen. We may be seated, and thank you, worship team. Um, Great to be able to sing to God the simple words of I love you. And as I was sitting there, you know what I loved? A lot of times when those words come out, you hear a lot of female voice. And I think that's because it's easier for ladies to say that. But there was a bass tone to that today. And men, to hear you sing that and, and share your affection with the Lord, that was, that was moving to me. Well, as we uh, start here today, one of the, I just want to take a minute to highlight something uh, that's an opportunity for us. In October, we started a st- uh, stewardship series. And uh, in October, we went through talking about how all that we have in our life, our time, our talents, and our resources are of God's. They're, they're not mine, they're His. And uh, as we came to the resources one, I told you in the new year, we would be doing something to help us with that, something that would help us with biblical teaching when it came to uh, finances and our own personal life in that area. And uh, so we have an opportunity coming up for you beginning on January 31st. We're starting a Financial Peace University. Great class that will help us bring, uh, as individuals, just bring uh, order, biblical order to our financial house and uh, do that in a way that glorifies God. And uh, so you can register for that on our church website. I want you to watch this video just to get a little taste of what this class is all about. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Are you really going to make the hard choices to change your life? We had 40000 in student loans, 17000 in cars. I owned a rental property. We had a line of credit, just stuff. We had 16 credit cards. The proverb says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes. We paid off $83,000. Wow! When desire comes. $144,000. When desire comes. $450,000 in the last seven years. Wow! It is the tree of life. God says this is how you get out of debt. You gotta run! no doubt that this process called Financial Peace University works. The only question is whether you're going to be involved. And so if you haven't signed up yet, now is the time. Well, it looks pretty interesting, and uh, I can't wait to see what God does in this. And this is not about getting rich. This is about seeing how God brings order to our, our life as we follow him in biblical principles. That's a discipleship issue. And uh, so I've, I've asked a couple of folks to help lead that class. Dylan and Mara Chilcott are one of those couples, as well as uh, another gentleman, uh, Carl Morgner. Uh, young adults, Carl's uh, an empty nester. His kids are out of the house, and uh, he and his wife also are, are trained to teach this course. But Dylan and Mara, you guys have seen God do some work in your life and uh, when it comes to finances, and you've seen how he can be glorified in that. He's, he's made some changes in both of you. Uh, would you share with us a little bit about your story? Ask them to, to just share a bit about how God's taken them on a journey when it comes to this. Absolutely. Well, good morning. I just want to thank you for this opportunity to kind of share our personal testimony and how God used Financial Peace University in our lives. 
So the journey really begins when Mara invited me to attend this class while we were in college. Um, at that time, like many college students, my financial plan wasn't really a plan at all. In fact, it probably didn't extend beyond whatever was going on that weekend. But uh, because of that, I was actually accruing a considerable amount of debt. And uh, soon after graduating, that debt began to feel like an insurmountable burden that was gonna live, I was going to have to live with for a long time. As the video showed, Scripture tells us in Proverbs 22.7 that the borrower is slave to the lender. And I think that resonates with a lot of us. But God used this class to teach me that he is the owner of it all and that we are called to be good stewards of his resources for his glory and his kingdom. I was convicted by the words of Jesus when he said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I took an honest look of where my treasure was, was, it was laid up in the past in the form of debt, and the money that I was managing was really for me, myself, and I. Um, God used this class to teach me what the Bible says about money, and uh, to no surprise, it was quite contrary to what contemporary American mainstream society was selling me. But uh, by God's grace, a plan, a little hard work, and faith... The debt that I thought was going to be around forever was actually paid off in under two years. And thanks, praise be to God for that. Thank you. Yeah, amen. So Financial Peace University equipped us to apply the principles of stewardship on a very practical level. We learned to avoid debt. We learned to live within our means on a plan and on a unified plan. Uh, we also learned how to create margin in our lives, not only to take care of our own household, but also to position us to be generous with all that God has given to us to manage. All right, so Financial Peace University uh, gave Dylan and me a foundation in our finances that has truly changed the trajectory of our lives. It started in college. We're kind of weird college kids going to (laughs) FPU, but we gave it a shot. And then it really became apparent once we got married. So we definitely fall short, and we make a lot of mistakes. We're very human. But God has given us contentment, peace, and unity that I truly didn't know were possible before I attended Financial Peace University. It has helped us avoid so many of the divisive money issues that tear marriages and families apart. In my own story, the ramifications of the financial struggles that my family faced as I was growing up lit a fire under me to pursue knowledge and wisdom around this subject. They say that your mess can become your message, and I guess that's the case in my, my situation. God taught me to take this seriously because, honestly, because of the pain that I experienced and witnessed as a kid. So I was naive and honestly hopeless, but God answered my prayers for wisdom through this class. The reality is that 70% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Plus, the number one cause of divorce in the United States are money fights and money problems. If you haven't experienced these situations in your own life, someone in your life has. And if any of this resonates with you, you aren't alone. This is a real battle, and you're not going to see it on the highlight reel. That is social media, although I like Instagram. It's fun. Um, Again, I think it's great, but hashtag blessed might just be covering up lives that are hashtag stressed. I saved that for you guys, second service. I do not (laughs) say that in first service. (laughs) We completely understand that personal finance can be tricky and a stressful subject. Some people don't even like to talk about it. It's uncomfortable. But God has placed it on our hearts to share the hope that we found in this area. We're happy to share our insight with you about how the class can meet you wherever you are on your journey. We'll be around after the service if you have any questions. And if you ever just see us around, we're always happy to chat with you. 
One last piece that we want to share with you is that the typical Financial Peace University class has 30% of its members from outside of the church body. So this is an incredible opportunity to connect with your family, your friends who are not involved in River of Life and invite them here. Um, Financial Peace University is actually how God brought me into a church community for the first time. So I'm forever grateful for that. This biblically-based class can truly inject hope into a subject that touches so many areas of life. At the end of the day, it's not about money. It's about your heart. It's about your hope. It's about your future. Um, And we all know our ultimate hope is in our, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we hope that you will prayerfully consider joining the class and sharing it with others. Thanks. All right. Thank you guys for sharing that with us. And uh, we appreciate hearing it because it puts, it puts flesh to uh, the course and what this can be about in our own lives. And uh, again, you register by going to the church website, riveroflifegj.com. It's Thursday evening, 6.30 p.m. We will have some child care. All the details, if you go to the church website, are on there. And you can follow the links to register. And when you register, it, it connects you to uh, the, the registration process. You get the materials mailed to you. None of the costs, I think it's $130, none of the cost goes to us. It's for the materials that you get. So I just want to let you know about that. Now, you want to hear some good news also? Another piece of good news? Um, after this stewardship series, I think you, God's worked here over the years. And again, one more way that uh, I think God has stirred in the hearts of our church body. And uh, it's just seeing in some of the generosity that's occurred here. Now, in uh, 2018, we had the highest missions giving year ever at River of Life. And that's awesome. Let me share with you. Yeah, yeah praise God. I want to share with you the specifics. Okay. So 2017, this is to Alliance Missions Giving. So I'm not talking what you see in your bulletin there this morning. That's just total missions giving. This is to the Christian Missionary Alliance, the Great Commission Fund, which supports our 700 plus missionaries that are out around the world and helps us get these 60 uh, new missionaries that we saw on video a couple weeks ago uh, out onto the field. So 2017, about $36,500 was given towards uh, the Great Commission Fund. That's a great number. Listen to this last year. It went up to $50,733. Isn't that incredible? That's a $14,277 increase. Way to go, church body. And that's a reflection of of the desire to give to a kingdom purpose. Also in, you see in your bulletin there, just, uh, as, as we were going through the year, you know, we we're tracking a little bit behind, but we were holding expenses down just in our general budget, but God met the need and even exceeded that. And, uh, that was neat to see that, uh, that we were able to, to meet the, the needs of our actual expenses. We didn't meet budget, but we met the needs. And, uh, so good job church body. As we look at that, I, I just want to praise you for that and say that God's been working in that area. And that's been a joy to see happen. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. And we're going to dive into our, our message this morning. And we are in week two of a four-part series on a series that we're calling Tracks. When you think about what tracks do, think train tracks and how train tracks keep a train on course, not to derail, hopefully, but keeps going on that course and get to the destination that it's trying to get to. Now, there are some tracks and a destination that we feel the Lord has been directing us as a church body. And I think we've been preparing for this for quite some time. And it's been marinating in us for for a while. And what we get to share in these couple of weeks, I am thrilled about. uh, Because I feel like it's providing a, a, a purpose, a direction, a view of where we're going as a church body. 
But it also is going to take a lot of work and a lot to get there. Let me share with you some of the things we've been talking about. We shared this with you back in November. Again, last Sunday, some of you, that was the first time you've seen some of this. But we've developed a mission, a vision, and and some values that will help us in that course. And we're working our way through those values. The mission of River of Life Alliance Church is simply this. To join God in his mission of reconciling God and man. That could be translated into almost any Bible-following, Jesus-following church across the world. But it's, it's large. It's huge. God wants people saved. Think 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that idea of reconciliation between God and man. But our vision is a little more specific for us here at River of Life. It has to do with some of the values and the language is, is short, and there's so much packed into this, but it's simply to give Christ's living water to the western slope. It's, it's bigger than ourselves. It's the western slope is the view we have. That's not saying we're not a missions movement and we will still be a part of that. But it's saying as a church engaging in that, church planting, discipleship, uh, the whole process of outreach and seeing Christ living water, people having access everywhere until everyone within our reach has had an opportunity to hear. Empowering and training and teaching the church Big goal, larger than ourselves, a long-term goal, could be 30, 40 years. But we believe that that's what God wants to do out of River of Life, is to give that away. The values that we have been working on and working towards are values that, if you look at, you'll say, yeah, that's already here. And it's ones that we're continuing to shape and see grow. But let me share those with you, four values They're restore. And we looked at restore last week. This idea that Jesus Christ can restore any life. He has the power to. He has the desire to. He is a restorative God. And when we live in a context, in a valley, where there's great need for lives to be restored, God is the answer. It's Jesus Christ who brings that. The other, the next word, belong. Belong. And then abide and then multiply. Today we're going to look at belong and exactly what that means and put some flesh to that. That continues to help us understand what it means. We want to see God move in a powerful way at River of Life and across our valley in the western slope. And we need God in order to see that happen. Now we might sit in a series like this and go, that is awesome. We have a direction. We have a a plan. We know where we're going. I wonder what the staff is going to do. That's not the purpose of this series, okay? If you haven't gotten it yet. The purpose of the series is to help us see this is the church, what is sitting all around you right here. I and our staff cannot do this. But we, as a church body, if God's heart becomes our heart, we might see this happen. And we need to continue to see God's heart be planted in us. And really what we're after is seeking and chasing after God's heart. And these basics about who God is and what he desires and what he wants. There's a theology mix all throughout this and the need for that. So we don't sit back and go, well, where's the program? Well, there are a few things that we're making adjustments on and doing differently. Like iConnect, for instance, is one of those things. But it's really about us. And do we own this? Is this our life? If I'm a part of River of Life, 
do I bleed this? So today we're going to look at that value of belong. And what does it mean for us at River of Life? What does it mean for us in a community? How do we think about it? And I think this is strong here. This is a value that, that we do well. But we also live in a transient community and there's change in our church and there's a growing church here and there's the need that this is constantly something that we're looking at and growing and keeping in front of ourselves and being challenged on. Last night I saw it being played out. This room was full of people that were here for the uh, chili cook-off. And what was cool is they had tables set up part way, and there were so many people here, we tore down all the chairs and put up tables. And there were that many people, and there was fellowship and good conversation. And just the, that, that's part of belong, is just building relationship. And so I was thrilled to see it. Now, the setup crew, I mean, the cleanup crew, you guys did a great job. And uh, they came through here and set up, reset up all the chairs between last night and this morning and had it all ready. Except for one person's messing with me. Somebody belongs well enough, they know me well enough to know what gets under my skin. Sitting right over here behind Kyle Emmer is a green chair with the brown one back over there somewhere. It only took me about 20 seconds in walking in here to find it. So whoever you are, I want to know. And uh, come talk with me, because that's, that's good. Well played. And uh, I just might be off all day here, so we'll see how it goes, all right? Let's pray. <laughs> pray for me. Now, let's take a moment and just pray. Would you pray for our church, as I laid out a, a, something huge on the screen there. Would you just pray for our church? Whatever God might put on your heart, be praying for that. And, uh, and then we'll move forward. Gracious Father, you have been so kind and so generous to us as a church body. And you have done so much work over the years. And we believe that there's, there are excellent days ahead of us of where you're taking us as a church body. But we're not in love with the work. We're in love with you. And we want you to do a great work in us that would get carried out and overflow like water across this region. And that lives would be affected for the name of Jesus Christ. And so we lay ourselves as your servants out before you and ask even today, would you begin to put your heart at a deeper level in us? From the mature to the immature, no matter where we are on the spectrum, challenge us and move us forward today by your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 5. I'll get to that in just a second here. We're a couple weeks removed from Christmas, and many kids opened up Christmas presents on Christmas Day. And as soon as that toy was in their possession, it belonged to them. They owned it. It was theirs to keep. But by now already, some of those toys have become old news, right? Unless another kid walks in their house and picks up that toy, and suddenly it belongs to them again. That's mine. I'm going to possess that. I'm going to control that thing. Well, as we look at this idea of belonging, the idea of belonging in the dictionary is to be property of or to be a member of a group. No one wants to be owned like a piece of property by somebody else. In essence, to be a slave of somebody else, to be taken advantage of by them. 
But I do know this about all of us is we all want to belong with other people because it's a God wired piece of who we are as humanity. We want to belong. We want to fit in. But maybe you feel like this guy in the far side cartoon. You remember the old cartoon, the far side? Yoo-hoo, oh, yoo-hoo, I think I'm getting a blister. See the guy in the upper right-hand corner? He's not like the others, all right? He's not tough like the other guys. Maybe you feel like that person, like you're just out of place all the time and you don't fit in. You feel like the junior hire that still hasn't quite outgrown that awkward stage of where do I belong in life? I think most of us still feel elements of that, even if we fake it really well. Even if we're very well connected with people, we still feel insecure in that. Well, guys, this valley is full of people sitting outside today who don't have a place where they belong. Who have no idea the context in which they could belong in with other people. And God has wired them to belong And they think the need is simply to have friendship. And that's true. There is a need for friendship. But there's a whole nother deeper level that God has wired us with that we have a need for. Most of the time when we think of church and the need for belong, we might come at it with a couple of different thoughts. One of those might be a place where I can make friends. So we show up at a church with the intent of how do I develop some friendships, meaning how do I find my people, my tribe, who are a lot like me, who I can basically recreate with, I can spend some time with, um, we can laugh together, we can have fun together, but there's not a whole lot of difference between me and them. And it's primarily about the people that are just like me. I'm not interested in people that are hard to be around. And so we might approach church as friendship. We might look at church in another way. And I was reading Francis Chan's book, Letters to the Church, recently. And he brought up this idea that we might look at church as just an event to attend. What do you do? I go to church. I attend this 90-minute service. I sit through that, and it is what I do. I'm a member of that church. I belong there. And that's kind of normal because that's what we've made church to be. That's what we've heard in a lot of places that that's what church is. But could you find that in the New Testament? It kind of feeds this consumeristic look at the church of what I get from it. And I show up and if it's meeting my needs and it's doing what I want it to do. And guess what? It reduces the mystery of the church to a 90-minute service. But I got to ask the question, what if belonging in church was something far more than that? Something far deeper than that. What if so many could be missing something? What if there was, there was a deeper level, a depth that would be more God-honoring and glorifying to what God intended it to be? But it's kind of hard, right, to deal with people sometimes? And to get into lives and to love one another, it's tough work. I mean, we're busy. People are annoying. We have needs. We have wants that we want things to have happen a certain way and what we want from people. But get this, Jesus' church was to be known for its love for one another. Not for its power of its service, not for the worship, not for the programs that it offered, but for its love for one another. In fact, the phrase one another, meaning how we treat each other, shows up in the New Testament over a hundred times. Love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, admonish one another, and on and on it goes with different references to what that looks like. 
And Jesus said that our love for one another is the thing that would attract the world to Christ. Imagine a church that so powerfully loves each other that that is its strongest outreach movement. That a church that loved each other in such a powerful and dynamic way that it was attraction, it was an attraction that brought people towards not just, hey, I could be a part of that group. I could be a part of that group where I'm going to see Jesus and live out Jesus' values. So when we at River of Life talk about belong, here's a phrase or a way of looking at it that might help. And you might want to write this down as a way of holding on to it. I worked on this wording all week trying to figure out exactly how I would say it. But it's simply this to be securely loved by Jesus and his people. Securely loved. Meaning nothing will change. That they own me and I own them. That God owns me and I own him in this secure relationship. Not owned by God or his people so that they can abuse me or take advantage of me or use me for their own selfish means or gain. But a people who have been securely loved by God. Now, many people have not been securely loved by the church. Not, I'm not saying here. I'm just saying the church in general. And often that's because we haven't, though, found our security in Christ. Our identity has not been found in Christ. But picture a church that grasps this so much. As the vertical relationship with Jesus Christ is that established and that founded that it gets played out in the horizontal aspect between different people. That that gets carried out. Imagine a church where that could be the picture of what happens. That's the picture of That Jesus Christ keeps pointing out to us. The potential is unreal where inside points out. Where that is how Christ reaches a community. We see it here all over the place at River of Life. I heard two testimonies this past week. People shared with me, hey, here's my story at River of Life. And how much this idea of belong ministered to them. Because this church is great at it. I was brought in. I was restored because of people who helped me feel like I belonged here. My relationship with God was, was brought to a deeper level. There are people all the time who tell me, I have no idea how I'd be going through life if I didn't have this church body. Do you ever feel like that? If it weren't for these people, if it weren't for the ones around me, and I'm just going to say it to you, if it weren't for you, I don't know how I would do life. Guys, look outside this door. There are people like that all the time saying the same questions. They just don't have the answer that the church pointing us to Jesus is the way. And we have an answer. And we have a place where this sense of belonging points each other to the Lord. Now, believe it or not, there was a stage in my life where I was just a normal guy. I wasn't a pastor. And I just lived a normal life. And as well, I was in seminary. And for five years, I spent some time just working regular jobs. In fact, at times as a pastor, I've also taken regular jobs so that I just have some outlet in the real world and uh, outside of the church bubble. And, but during those five years, there was a church that as a young man taught me this, what this looks like. And I'm going to share this story with you. I want you to hear it because it meant so much to me and it began to help me see this. And I think a lot of these elements are here, but this is my story. It was in those years while I was going to seminary that I was trying to work full time and go to school. And so my life was so full, 
I just, I had no margin in it. And you know what that does to a person over time when you have zero margin? Eventually you go, grow pretty unhealthy, right? And we were part of this church body that I think could see that was going on. They knew, they knew us and they knew what was going on, but they knew that that was happening. It was also in the period of time when some of Rochelle's health issues were the most intense in the health issues that she struggled with early in our marriage. So that was going on. And I'm trying to hold everything together in my family. And then we find out we're having a child in the midst of that. And we add that into the, the, the mix. This church body saw all that was going on in our life. And this church body loved Rochelle and I unmerited. They took us under their wing. I was invited into this men's group where I began to develop relationship with guys who literally would lay down their life for each other. And who would call each other to the mat, yet encourage and build up. And we studied God's word together. And we did this every week for several years in a row. Those guys are still my friends. There are, in that time period, numerous examples I could give you of ways that they loved us. They gave us opportunity to, to serve in the church. We led a college group during that time. There were times when, I don't know how the Lord laid it on people's hearts, but we financially were trying to pay for seminary and, and our family all at the same time. And I was trying not to go into debt during that time. And there were, somebody gave us a car one time. So God told him to do it. Somebody showed up at our door one time in, in a small group uh, said, the Lord told us to do this. And in the basket were rolled up $100 bills to pay for my seminary the next semester. I have no idea how God did that. He told them. But friendship and birthday parties and help with our kids during that time. And, and that church taught us what it looks like. This support, this love. And all of it was pointing us to Jesus. All of, us, all of it was causing us to see and understand Jesus at a deeper level. They forgave us. I'm sure there were many times when we offended people and they forgave. They worked with us through things. And I tell that story because it puts a little flesh on it and it helps us see it. But really, if we want to hear and see the heart of God, we better look at Jesus. So that's why John chapter 5 and again, we're going to go to a story just like we did last week where we look at the heart of Jesus and we want to make some observations about it. We're not going to look at this story for all the other things that we could dig out of it, but just simply look at it from the angle of belong. And what does it say to us about what mattered to Jesus? So let's look at this story and I'm going to begin in verse one of chapter five. It'll be on the screen also and I'll go through 15 verses on it. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So a whole bunch of people are going into Jerusalem about the same time. There's large crowds moving into the city. Verse 2, now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids or disabled people, blind and lame and paralyzed. So there's this pool inside this city gate several pools, and there was a superstition, a myth, that if you could get in the water, you might be healed, the first one into the water. So you can imagine that when, uh, I'll explain it in just a second, when a particular event happened, the mad rush that there would be from people who wanted to be healed, who doesn't want to be healed if you're struggling with something in life. And so what was happening is every once in a while, the water would kind of gurgle and bubble. And, and uh, the myth was that if you got in right after that happened, you might be healed. 
Might have been some minerals in the water that were beneficial. No one knows if anyone was actually ever healed, but most people believe it was probably something underneath the earth, water moving, that was creating that, that effect. But this myth was that if we could get in the water, we could be healed. Verse 5, one man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. That's a long time. He'd been going through the same routine day after day. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? If you were in his shoes, you probably would want to be healed. But consider this. There are many people who have become so content in their position in life, whether that's an addiction or a struggle they're going through. If, if Jesus asked them, do you want to be healed? They'd probably say, I don't know. I don't think so. Especially if they attached it to Jesus. Jesus maybe is testing the waters with this young man and he's asking him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to see me move in your life? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put, into the, uh, to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another, another steps down before me. In other words, they beat him into the water. Jesus said to him, get up and take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. You can imagine the scene of that. Standing in front of him was, he didn't need more reflexes or, you know, the, the quick ability to get down to the water. He didn't even need a person to get him down there. What he needed was the man who was right in front of him. Jesus, I don't think he understood it at that point. I don't think he got it yet. I'm going to keep reading this and it goes in a little bit of a different direction, but there's a point we need to see in the next couple of verses that points something out about what Jesus did after this. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he said to them, the man who healed me, that that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, well, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed Uh, did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn when there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, and he said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. So there's a lot that could be said about that passage, but when it comes to the issue of belong, there's a couple of basic things that we need to put out here about what Jesus did, about what valued to him, what was valuable to him. And one of them is this that we see about Jesus. Jesus saw the invisible person. He sees invisible people. Disabled people in Jesus' day were essentially invisible. Unless they had somebody who took care of them, they were just at the, the will of other people around them. They might get around, they might beg, but they were kind of the low of society. No one cared. There are invisible people around us all the time. They may be disabled but they may not be. And there are people that we pass by constantly that we overlook and don't see, some of which even sit among us. Some of whom maybe are families that no one knows what's going on in their life or someone who's elderly and, and struggling or someone who's, who's homeless around us or disabled. Do we notice those people? They have a need. First of all, do you notice them? And, and that's a basic need to be met. Do you see them? What about the family that lives next door to you? Do you know anything about them? Do you see the invisible people in your life? Jesus saw invisible people all the time. He took notice of them and he met them. 
Another thing about Jesus from this passage would be this. Jesus wants a relationship with people. And it's not just screaming off the page in this one story. But if we look at the whole life of Jesus, it comes across. But in this story, Jesus was right in front of the guy. He was right in front of him. The guy thinks, thinks what he needs the most is someone, maybe a friend or a family member, to get him into the water. That his hope is somebody would serve him like that and get him to the water. But he didn't need just a friend. He didn't even need healing as much as he needed the man who is now in front of him. See, a friend, here's one thing, is that a friend can never do enough. And if we talk about belong and it simply ends at friendship, we will let each other down constantly because you can't fulfill what I need and I can't fulfill what you need and want. But we need the person, Jesus Christ. And part of how we get to Jesus Christ, part of how we find him and how God works is through other people. Now, it's interesting here what happens because Jesus, it says, slipped away. I don't know exactly why he slipped away from the man after he healed him. It says he went into the crowd. Perhaps the tension was elsewhere. Perhaps the man didn't have faith and Jesus knew that. Perhaps he knew the man wasn't ready for it. Slipped away. But what did Jesus do? Amongst all the crowd that was in Jerusalem for the festival in that week, he went back to the man. He went back to him and he talked to him and he ministered to him spiritually. What that man needed was relationship with Jesus and Jesus did that. He gave him opportunity. And the third thing is that Jesus loves people in a way that requires action. That action, we could say, about relationship with God and relationship with each other is marked by love. It's marked by love and love requires action. If Jesus created this world, if God created this world, set it in motion, started all the stuff, and then removed himself from it, but yet said he is love, you'd say, no way. That's not love. The love is the action. You see it played out. The way we know Jesus loves us is because he takes action. Love always involves action. Love in the church requires action. Biblical love is far more than a feeling. It's movement it's doing something when we see it spoken of throughout scripture it's this idea of a brotherly love a friendship that serves each other that puts another person ahead of myself it says you are more valuable than i i will serve you i'll do whatever it takes to bring life to you seems like this man had little faith but jesus served him despite that jesus served him and ministered to him when we don't see a whole lot of reciprocal and Jesus wants us to serve like that. Last week, we looked in Restore, and we came away with two powerful statements to believe. Two things that would change our life if we believed. And there's two things this week that I want to share with us that if we embraced, it would change everything about our walk with the Lord. It would take us deeper. And these two statements changed me this week. It helped me as I spent time pondering these you see, for all these values, there's both a vertical aspect to them and a horizontal aspect. There's an aspect between me and God, and there's an aspect between me and living in this world. So the first statement that would be important for us to believe is this, that Jesus wants me to belong to him. Jesus wants me to belong to him and him to me. We could add to that. 
It makes me think when I consider this, the whole idea of ransom, that we are ransomed by God. He's purchased us. He's purchased our freedom. Matthew 20, verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' death was a ransom in the sense that it paid a penalty that you and I owed. Do you think of a ransom? You know what a ransom is. When somebody's kidnapped, when they're stolen, when they're taken away, a ransom could be paid in order to retrieve that person back. Jesus ransomed us because he loves us. And it took that action. And he loves us in that way to make us, bring us into his, his, himself where we belong to him. Brought back, not to be taken advantage of, but to be loved. To be cared for. And because I'm loved and cared for by God, I want to obey him. I don't try to earn my, my salvation back by obeying him. I want to obey him because he loves me. And that's why I do that. He's ransomed me. He's freed me. And I draw my life to him. That idea of abide that we're going to look at next week. I abide with him because he loves me. He belongs to me too. I get him and he gets me. It's this both ways. I am in him. It's my identity. Somebody asks you, who are you? And you're a follower of Jesus. I belong to Jesus. That's who I am. I'm my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. Where once I might have been alienated, I'm now close and I don't deserve it. I'm adopted. I'm a part of his family. I'm his friend. I'm known by him. I'm made new. I am his. I'm brought into his family. There's a spiritual discipline that I have been learning over the last couple of years that some people call just declarations. And it's just saying out loud things that are true from Scripture. And uh, I came across a list that I use from a pastor called Craig Rochelle that he put together. It's here in my Bible. And some mornings when I come in early before anybody's here, I'll go through these. And I don't know if the other guys think I'm crazy if they can hear it through the walls. But I'm saying these things out loud sometimes. And I'll go through a number of them in the morning. Declarations about who God says I am and who his word calls me to be. And I want to give us just a second to exercise that discipline this morning. In this idea of belonging to God, because he defines who we are. My identity, if it's not founded in him, it's going to be bounced around by what people praise about me or the criticism I receive. And I need to be founded in him. And so I'm going to ask you to just where you're seated in a second here, close your eyes. And I'm going to read through a list of things that God says about you if you're a follower of Jesus. And I want you to listen with spiritual ears for what God would say to you specifically. Maybe there's one or two things out of this list that could be said about you that you need to hear from God. That he's saying, hey, take notice of this. I'm not going to read all these, but I have four pages of these things that we could say about what God's word says about us. I'm not going to read the reference. There's a reference with each of them. I'm just going to read the short phrase out of scripture. Would you just close your eyes and first ask God to show you something from these phrases. I'm going to read through a number of these. I am faithful. I'm God's child. I've been justified. I'm Christ's friend. I belong to God. I'm a member of Christ's body. I'm assured that all things work together for good. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. 
I'm confident that God will perfect the work he's begun in me. I am a citizen of heaven. I am hidden with Christ in God. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. I am blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. I am chosen before the creation of the world. I am holy and blameless. I am adopted as his child. I am given God's gracious grace lavishly and without restriction. I am in him. I have redemption. I am forgiven. I have purpose. I have hope. I am included. I am sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I am a saint. I am salt and light of the earth. Is there one that God might be saying, you need to hear that today because you belong to me and I belong to you. Just jot that down if God's saying something to you as we move forward and and hold on to that because we need to be rooted and grounded and established in Christ. First and foremost, I belong to God and he belongs to me. We've been united. But there's one other piece of this and that's the horizontal aspect Jesus wants me to love others like he does. He wants me to love others like he does. Part of how we experience God's love is through other human beings, his church body. Broken people need to be loved. And in doing so, we're pointing them to the one who can ultimately meet their needs. We need each other. And we need what each other can bring. Scripture so often talks about us as a body. That the body works together. I need my hand. I need my feet. I need my toes. I need my heart. I need my head. All together connected. And just as my finger is a part of my body. It belongs to my heart. My heart belongs to the finger. It talks about us as a church body. In Romans 12 verse 5 says this. Each member actually belongs to all the others. Something powerful in that statement. Each member belongs to the others. You belong to the other people. You are not your own. You belong to Christ and you belong to the people you are sitting around. You belong to somebody else. Makes me think of Acts 4.32, the early church, where it describes about them. They had everything in common. They shared everything they had. When one was in need, they helped that person. But the one who was strong was in a position where they could help. They were there for each other. I love our journey groups because that's, Big part of where this gets played out, which, by the way, we need more journey group leaders. And if God is saying to you, you can take a step forward by leading a journey group, talk to Pastor Matt or myself after the service because we, we need them. But journey groups, this gets played out. And my favorite part of our journey group every week is when we go around and we share what's going on in life. We're able to uh, share some of the struggles, some of the joys where God's answering prayer. And God is doing stuff, but we hear each other's needs and sometimes meet the need right on the spot. Need childcare because you're going to winter retreat and helping as an adult leader there? Oh, yeah, we'll watch your kids for the weekend. Watching that kind of stuff happen. Or you need challenge. You need exhortation in that moment. We do it there. And that's the context. That's the kind of way that that gets played out. So that's what the church looks like. And don't you think we ought to have a love that goes beyond just like what they had in, in the program Cheers or Friends? Don't you think it should go beyond that? What's so special about us? What's the Jesus part of this? It's Jesus in it. First John is a book that just marks it all the way through. 
But I, I want to read to you just some verses because I think they're important for us to see when it comes to this. Can we put those up on the screen? It's 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Last little bit of scripture we're going to look at. And it says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, in this love, uh, not that we have been loved, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, though. The proof is in that. And his love is perfected in us. You see in this, this whole concept that comes out about the way we love one another. Three times he talks to us about being marked by love as a church body. And as Christians, do we love one another? And he gives us three really good reasons to love each other. First one of them is this. God is is love in himself. Verses 8 and 16. Second one is this. God has loved us in Christ. Verses 10 and 11. And the third one is that God continues to love in and through us. These are the reasons we ought to love each other. And in the end, did you see this? There's this promise that sits in there. That if we love one another, then God's love abides in us and his love will be perfected in us. Also the vice versa. But did you see that? The tie to abide here. That if we love one another... God's love abides in us. He actually is alive in us. And so in River of Life, there's the internal love that has to happen. But we also have to keep making room for new people at the table. Because God loves people and there will always be people coming in. So it looks like in real life, long-term relationships with people. Sometimes drop-in help is helpful, but long-term relationships with people. Where there's a level of commitment, where I'm not viewing them as something I consume. What are you going to give me? And if you don't give it to me, I'm abandoning and I'm going on. But I serve another person and I sacrifice for other people. And I give my very life up for them like Jesus did, that they might have and be able to live well. All the while pointing them to Jesus, their ultimate hope. But I'm dedicated to them. I'm not going to just escape and run away from them. It's not at the expense of just turning a blind eye to every sin in somebody's life and just saying, oh, I just love everything. Corinthians, if you read that, it's a great example of why not to be that way. But it's pointing us back to who Jesus is. The idea of lovingly restoring people. Ministering to each other. Pointing them to Jesus. Because God's glory is seen when the church loves. When we care for one another. That's the secret sauce to all this. It's Jesus. That's what's amazing about this. And let me tell you something. You, as a follower of Jesus, are as equipped as anybody else to minister to somebody else. Sometimes churches get the mentality that the only person that can do it is, are the pastors. That is 100% wrong. Go back and read your Bible. If you want to burn me out, that's a great way to do it. But God has equipped us as a church body to minister to each other. When somebody else ministers to you, it is just as valuable as one of the pastors. 
It's just as, they're just as capable. God can minister through the other people. He can minister through our elders. He can minister through your journey group and your journey group leaders. God loves to minister through his body. And it's an amazing thing when it happens. As we make room in our lives and in our church structures and the way we do things that bring love into relationships. Because everybody matters. We want people to matter. People of all ages. Single people, single moms, divorcees, internationals, people of different races, disabled people. They matter to us here at River of Life. People sometimes stay away from a church because they feel like they're not like the other people there. If you're in that boat, don't run away from us. Stay there. And when you see somebody who's different than you, go towards them. Because the church is intended to function with love. And if you're older, I challenge you to carry out the biblical principle of seeking out some younger people and investing in them. Maybe take, buy somebody today, take them to lunch, spend some time with them. If you're a young person, seek out somebody who's older than you. If you're a young adult, seek them out. Ask about their life. Get to know them. Pick some wisdom out of them. If you're single, do that with a married couple. If you're married, do that with a single person. But you get the point. Find people who are not just like you and pursue them and love each other. It's going to take a confrontation with self to do this, though. Because it's my own selfishness that oftentimes keeps me away. It's the hurdle that keeps me away from loving people like this. Jesus isn't just asking us, get some nice feelings about each other and enjoy coming to this 90-minute service. But he's asking us to dig in each other's lives and to sacrifice for each other. He came to serve, uh, not to serve, but to be, uh, not to be served, but to serve us. In the same way, we are to do that with other people. So the question I've had to wrestle with many times in my life have I moved from the place of being a getter to the place of being a giver? Are you there? No relationship functions very well as long as you're a getter, what you can get from the other people. But it's amazing what happens when we move to becoming a giver to the people around us. Perhaps you take me up in the challenge today to find somebody who's not just like you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, you might be stirring some people to take steps forward and in no means have I gotten anywhere near perfect on this. There's so much growth I need. And God, give me your heart to see people, to love people, to be in their lives. Minister to us. May we be found fully in you as a church body. God, you love us. This church is doing so well in this area and I just pray that you'd fan the flame of it and that it would be seen all throughout the valley and that that would proclaim Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection and his love for people. Make that be our testimony. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.